Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Luke chapter 5 verses 1 to 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Anya, uh, thanks uh, very much indeed for uh, reading. And uh, do please keep um, your Bibles open to that reading as we'll be looking at it for the next uh, few moments. Again, it's uh, wonderful to see you here. Um, wonderful to be part of this uh, special occasion with Zoe being baptised. Um, uh, it's been great to witness that. It's been great for me, a privilege for me to be part of that. And uh, what a, a significant moment in your life, Zoe. Um, you'll have heard, uh, we kind of know this before she was baptised, but Zoe is committed to following Jesus. And uh, you'll have heard by the way she was speaking that she's committed to Jesus having an impact in every area of her life. She's already talked about how he does do that. It's a wonderful thing. Zoe's baptism symbolized that Zoe has said goodbye to living life on her own terms and that now Jesus is going to call the shots in every area of life. That's what this is about. It's a big moment. But you know, for many people, as I explain it like that, that is a step too far. I mean, not a step too far for Zoe, but a step too far for them. And actually, they even get quite annoyed that people talk in those terms. When I speak to some of my friends who aren't Christians, they can accept that Jesus has something to say on the religious bits of life. They might not even like that, but they can kind of accept that. You know, we do what we do on a Sunday, quaint little thing that we do. But to begin to think that Jesus has a a say on the rest of life, no way. No, no, don't, don't bring him into that. What's he got to do with that? Now, I wonder where you are on that. Do you think Jesus should just be kept to the religious parts of life? Well, the Bible event that Anya just read for us now has a lot to say on that very question. Look with me at Luke chapter 5. Again, page 1032. I think you'll find it useful if you have it open in front of you uh, this evening. Uh, In verse 1, we're on the shore of Lake Gennesaret. And Jesus is preaching, and people are crowding around hearing him. He already has done some remarkable things by this stage in the story. Lots of people want to hear Jesus whenever he speaks. A crowd are following him. And so, verse 2, Jesus saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. 
And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore, and then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. You can picture the scene. Uh, Jesus used Simon's boat as a sort of floating pulpit. Being a, a little way out to sea, Jesus was able to continue to preach without being crushed by the crowd. And so the owner of the boat, Simon, found himself with Jesus in this boat. And when, verse 4, Jesus had finished speaking, Jesus said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And this, I think, is where the story gets really interesting. You see, if you think Jesus is only for the religious bits of life, then at this point, he has gone way beyond his remit. Here is the carpenter-come-preacher telling the fisherman how to do his job. Here is Jesus in the workplace telling you what to do. For the medics here, I know there's lots of them, you're in hospital or surgery, and as you're performing a tough operation or making a difficult diagnosis, Jesus has walked in and carried on the surgery or the consultation. For the students here, this is Jesus entering the lecture theatre, taking over from the most eminent professor. Stand aside a moment, I'll finish off this lecture. And for the politicians and economists who are running out of ideas right now, here is Jesus walking into the European Parliament and carrying on the Brexit negotiations. Well, frankly, somebody ought to try. (laughs) Now, if you think Jesus should be confined to the religious bits of life, then Jesus' actions here are totally inappropriate. He's poking his nose in where he really isn't welcome. Just keep him to the religious bits, please. Now, look, I have to say that is exactly how I used to see it. I'd have never verbalized it like that, but as far as I can remember, I don't think I even thought about it that deeply, but that's basically how I lived my life. I'd always believed God was there. Can't remember a time when I didn't. I was taken to church, as Zoe was, uh, when I was a lad. I stopped going when I was a teenager, except at Christmas and Easter, weddings, that sort of thing. But believing God was there made no difference to the way I lived the rest of my life, frankly. At work, on the sports field, socialising, in my relationships, uh, how uh, that there was a God made no difference to how I spent my money, what I did with my time, my view on sex or politics or family or economics or whatever. I didn't stop to think what Jesus might think on those subjects. I guess my basic morality had been shaped in part by my belief in God. But honestly, and in the everyday nitty-gritty of life, God had no real impact whatsoever. And I think a lot of people are like that, leaving Jesus to the religious zone. That said, many who live that way are not entirely consistent with it. Um, In a few weeks' time, I'll be flying out to Cambodia to visit one of our mission partners. I'm very excited about it. I'm going to visit the the Norgate family. Uh, I'm not a nervous flyer. Uh, But I've got to say, over the years, I've sat next to people who are. You can usually spot them. Uh, If you are a nervous flyer, then uh, you'd love flying with Indonesian Airways. Because tucked... I mean, you won't. I mean, you know, you're getting the point. Um, Tucked in the seat in front of you, you'll find one of these. Uh, Along with the in-flight magazine and a laminated card with safety instructions, there is what is called an invocation card. It's a card of prayers in all the main languages of the world, prayers for a safe journey. It doesn't exactly fill you with confidence. It's as if Indonesian Airways are saying, if you're going to reach your destination in one piece, you better start praying. (laughs) 
And that said, when it comes to caring for nervous flyers, I reckon British Midland are the most insensitive airline I've ever flown with. On a trip to Belfast, I think it was about 15 years ago, uh, we were taxiing along the runway. I leaned back into my seat, closed my eyes, and then sort of tuned into the music that was being played around the cabin, and it was Ronan Keaton singing, If Tomorrow Never Comes, <laughs> with that comforting line, If My Time on Earth Should End. Anyway... Um, Hearing that as you take off isn't enough, uh, is enough to make you reach for your invocation card. And on this card are all the prayers, uh, lots of prayers in the main languages of the world. Here's the one in English. Lord in heaven, we praise and thank thy blessings and endless love in our lives. Now, we call on thy holy name to accompany our journey, guard and protect our plane from any disturbance and danger and help us to arrive on time and in safety. Thank you, Lord, for your help and firm love always. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And when I first came across this invocation card, it just made me wonder how many people who are not normally praying people, people who think Jesus should be left to the religious part of life, people who certainly don't want Jesus interfering with their job or telling them how to raise their family or what to do with their money or how to use their leisure time, I wondered how many people like that, as they hurtle along the runway or when they're in a fix, suddenly find themselves throwing up a quick prayer or two. In the novel... Bella by Jilly Cooper. There's a fascinating moment when Bella is kidnapped and fears for her life. Up to this point, there's been no mention of God, except as a swear word. But now she's in serious trouble and we read these words. She started on the Lord's Prayer. Then she prayed, please let me out, adding, and I'll try to be good for the rest of my life. Well, she does get out, sorry. I should have given you a spoiler alert if you haven't read the book. Anyway, she does get out. But God is never mentioned in the book again, except as a swear word. And that is how many people live their lives. Not really interested in God, occasionally grabbing for their invocation cards uh, when they need him. Where are you on this? Do you think Jesus should be kept to the religious zone? Well, if you are, then you'll feel as if Jesus is interfering here in verse 4. Here's Jesus walking into Peter's office and telling him how to do his day job. Verse 4, Simon, let down the nets for a catch. Now, whatever you make of it, it's a fascinating moment, but it gets even more interesting as Luke tells us in verse 5 that Simon and his partners had been fishing all night and not caught a thing. And not, that's not just because they only did this for a hobby and had just had one of those dreadful days down at the riverbank when the fish just weren't biting. No, they were experienced fishermen. They were professionals. This is what they did for a job. And they'd been at it all night and they knew this wasn't the time to start fishing again. Yet here is Jesus telling Simon, put the nets down for a catch. And bearing in mind that Simon is the fisherman and Jesus is the carpenter come preacher, I reckon Simon's response is pretty gracious, really. Verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, in Simon's mind, there is no way they catch anything. We discover that in verse 9, because when they do catch a huge catch, he was completely astonished. He didn't think he was, this was going to do any good at all. Peter knew these waters. He knew it was time to go home and get some kip. They'd been fishing all night. Certainly wasn't the time to start fishing all over again. And all the more so when we see in verse 2 that they just washed the nets. They didn't want to have to do that all over again. That was a big part of the end of the day. Yet despite that, and even though Simon thought the whole exercise would be fruitless, end of verse 5, he said, because you say so, I will. And lo and behold, verse 6 
When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. What a catch. It was a miracle. They'd been fishing all night and hadn't caught a thing, not a nibble. And yet here was Jesus of Nazareth, raised in the country, miles from the coast, Jesus the carpenter turned preacher. Here was Jesus giving them the biggest haul they'd ever had. It was a miracle. And Simon knew it, not only because they'd been fishing all night without catching a thing, but look at the boats, end of verse 7, they began to sink. This was no normal haul. They'd never seen anything like this before. If they were used to this size of catch, they'd have bought bigger boats ages ago. It was a miracle. And the miracle showed Simon exactly who Jesus is. And boy, did Simon get the point. Look at his response in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. There are two things here. First, Peter fell at Jesus' knees and he called Jesus Lord. And this is the point where we begin to see whether Jesus should be kept for the religious bits of life or not. It all hinges on who we think Jesus is. For Simon Peter, this is the moment when Jesus' true identity becomes abundantly clear. At exactly this point, Simon Peter concluded that Jesus is Lord. That's the word in verse 8. The Lord of fish and fishermen. The Lord of the sea and sailors. The Lord of health and hospitals. The Lord of universities and understanding. The Lord of leisure and relaxation. The Lord of all. This miracle demonstrated to Simon Peter that Jesus is the one who made the world, the one who made everything that we see around us, the one who created the sea and the fish and the water and the waves. And well, and the one who made Simon Peter, and therefore the one who made you and me. At this point, Simon Peter realized that this is Jesus' world. He made it, so he owns it. And so he has every right to be completely and fully involved in it, everything in it, including every aspect of your life and mine. Which is why it's entirely appropriate for Zoe to say, I don't want to live my life my way anymore. I'm going to live it his way because he's in charge. That's what this has been about. And this miracle revealed that to Simon Peter. And this was no fluke, this miracle. No one-off, no lucky day down at the riverbank, you know, just came back with a great haul. Jesus performed other miracles over nature to prove who he was. In Luke chapter 8, we see him calming a raging storm. Again, Simon Peter's in the boat along with some others. A huge storm whipped up, stronger than Storm Brian, on a par perhaps with Hurricane Ophelia. I don't know, but huge Anyway, so bad, they thought they were going to drown. And remember, they were, they were fishermen. They'd seen big seas before. They thought they were going to drown. No doubt they were grabbing for their invocation cards. Here were hardened fishermen thinking they were going to die. Storm was so furious. And just when they thought they were doomed, Jesus stood in the boat and said to a raging storm, be still, and instantly the water was calm. Didn't have to wait for the storm to pass. It was just still instantly. Now, that is very impressive. And I tell you, there have been plenty of times I wish I could do that. After Christmas, we're planning to go uh, skiing. We will drive to the Alps. We try to do it as cheaply as we can, so we drive rather than, rather than fly. And we will go through the Channel Tunnel. What a brilliant piece of engineering that is. 
Now, Zoe knows all about engineering. I love that piece of engineering, not because I'm interested in engineering at all, but because I hate sailing on rough seas. Before the Channel Tunnel was built, if ever we went skiing, we had to cross the channel on the ferry. And every time I went on the ferry, I would get as sick as a dog. I will never forget the worst crossing of all. As we drove onto the ferry, the crew were securing all the vehicles with ropes before we set off. Others headed off for the restaurant to enjoy the smorgasbord. I decided to set up camp outside the toilets. I felt so sick on that journey. When I could stand it no longer, I looked up at my wife in a pathetic little voice and said to her, Caroline, how much longer before we get there? And I will never forget Caroline's uh, look on her face when she said to me, Paul, we haven't left the harbour yet. I used to feel so sick on those journeys. What I've been able to do to get up on deck and command the wind and the waves, still, be still, stop. Of course, I didn't try, no point. And if I had done, you'd have quickly come to the conclusion that it wasn't just in my stomach that I was sick. You and I can't control the wind and the waves, but Jesus did. The storm stopped instantly. Jesus calmed the storm, this huge haul of fish. He even walked on water. That would have been quite nice in there, because I tell you, that was cold. But anyway, we can't do it. It all begs the question, who is this man? Walking on water, stilling a storm, the catch of fish. When Jesus came to planet Earth, he walked around as if he owned the place, because he does. That's what Simon Peter concluded. And so, verse 8, he fell at his knees and called Jesus Lord. What a shock for Simon Peter. He was in the boat with the living God. And what a shock for anyone who wants to leave Jesus in the church, in the religious zone, or even leave him out of life altogether. Because if he is Lord of all, if he really is the one who's made everything, then for me to try and confine him to one small part of life is outrageous. And that is the second thing we see in Simon Peter's words in verse 8. He called him Lord, and secondly, he said, Go away from me, I'm a sinful man. You see, if Jesus really did make everything, then there's no area of life, no part of existence that is outside of Jesus' control. Believing that led Abraham Kuyper, the Dutch prime minister at the beginning of the 20th century, to say these words, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. That's the logical conclusion. If Jesus is God and Lord of all, everything is his, and so it's simply not right to try and restrict his influence anywhere. Worse than that is a terrible crime to push him out of my life. And that's what Peter realized. It hit him like a ton of bricks, which is why he said in verse 8, go away from me, I'm a sinful man. Peter is a sinful man, and when we think about it, you and I are sinful too. Now, sin, you see, uh, is to think that we know better than Jesus, as Simon Peter did about fishing. Sin is to restrict Jesus' influence over us, as I do every day. Sin is to push Jesus out of our lives altogether, something we're all guilty of. You might be polite about it, as Simon Peter was. You might even respect Jesus as a great teacher, as Simon Peter did. But when we don't allow Jesus to direct our lives, we've committed a terrible crime, and the Bible calls it sin. Now, look, I'm not being rude when I'm calling you a sinner. I'm not calling your moral integrity into question. I'm not saying you're a social outcast. I'm not suggesting you're a murderer or an adulterer or a paedophile or a terrorist. 
You're a sinner and I'm a sinner because to a greater extent, less, a greater or lesser extent, we've kept Jesus at arm's length. A good friend of mine who's also a clergyman got speaking to the wife of an old school friend at a wedding reception. And uh, she said to my friend, religion is there when we need it. So, for example, a wedding day, a baptism, it's there when you need it, she said. And my friend, who knew her well enough to say this, said to her, what would happen if your husband treated you like that, that you're just there when he needs you? And she said, I'd murder him. We know it's not true to treat people like that, just to turn them to them when we need them. But that is what we do with God. Think of all the times that you've enjoyed all the good things that God gives you, but then never given him a second thought. Think of the times when you've run to God only when you've needed him, grabbing for your metaphorical invocation card. Think of the times when you've misused God's creation, treated badly the people God made, walked all over them, put them down. Think of those times and then imagine them all being here on a DVD. A record of every single one of them. Imagine that Jesus hasn't missed a word or an action or a thought. And imagine that it's not me holding this standing in front of you, but him holding the DVD. Then you and I know how Simon Peter felt that day. Go away from me. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. And for some here this evening, it's dawning on you. You're beginning to realize you've done the unthinkable. You've kept the Lord of all creation at arm's length all your life. You may have been polite enough about it, but but there's no getting away from it. You've shut Jesus Christ out. And now, like Simon Peter, you can't look Jesus in the eye. Do you see how he knelt at Jesus' knees? I remember when it dawned on me that that's how I'd lived. It was a horrible moment until it was pointed out to me that this is not the end of the story. See, in verse 8, Simon Peter said, go away from me, but Jesus didn't walk away. Isn't that wonderful? Quite the opposite. He told Simon Peter that he had a job for him. Look halfway through verse 10. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. See, despite everything we've said, the good news is there's a fresh start with Jesus. The the slate can be wiped clean, the past forgotten. Because a few years after this event, Jesus Christ died on a cross. He died so that we could be forgiven, forgiven for the crime of ignoring him. On the cross, he took the punishment that we deserve for that crime. When I was at theological college training to be a vicar, we, we had to be assessed on the sermons we preached our tutor would sit, uh, we'd, we'd, you know, we'd go to a church and our tutor would come with us, usually sit on the back row and be taking notes and then we'd get a mark towards our degree. I did pass, just. If the tutor was unable to attend the church, then we'd get the sermon recorded on, and our tutor would listen to it the week after. And that happened to a friend of mine. His tutor wasn't able to go along with him, so he recorded the sermon. And it was on something uh, like this. It was a cassette. And now, um, yeah, we used to use these things years ago. Some of you have no idea what one of these is, so uh, I want you to think about a CD. It used to be, you know, before CDs. And those of you who don't know what CDs are, because it's all downloads for you. I just need to ask you why you're not in bed already. Um, 
Anyway, my, my friend handed the tape recording of his sermon to the lecturer, dreading what he'd think of it, because my friend really thought it was a dreadful sermon and wished he could just chuck it away. And um, the lecturer took the tape and put it in the tape recorder and pressed the button. And as he pressed the button, the phone rang in his study, and he picked up the phone, and uh, this phone call went on for a long time. He put the phone down, and he thought, what was I doing? And he saw the tape recorder going round and round and round, nothing coming out. And then he looked and he realized he'd pressed the record button and the whole thing had been wiped clean. My friend was thrilled. <laughs> now, when Jesus Christ died on a cross, he died to wipe the slate clean. No more record of it, all gone. That DVD, that record of all the times you've pushed him out, all gone. We deserve only God's punishment, but Jesus says, I love you. Zoe spoke of the great love that God the Father has for his children. It's a wonderful thing. He showed it supremely in sending his son, the Lord Jesus, to die. He loves you that much. He'd die for you. I'll die in your place so you can be cleansed and have a fresh start. That's exactly what this baptism is all about. A fresh start. Cleansing from sin. Having a fresh start for all the times you've pushed me out, says Jesus. All the times that you've enjoyed my things but haven't wanted me, fresh start. All the times you wanted to restrict me to the religious zone, fresh start. All the times that I've not been welcome in your life, you can have a fresh start. For me, it was 35 years ago. You've heard Zoe's story. Yeah, someone explained to me there was a world of difference between believing God was there and following Jesus Christ. The world of difference between believing God existed and knowing forgiveness that Jesus offered. So I started again with Jesus. And I think there'll be some here this evening who want to take that step as well. You've never really started with him. You may want to investigate it further. Uh, is Jesus really Lord of all creation? I can't start following him till I know that. Well, come along to our Christianity Explored course. We've run it for two weeks. You can still come this week, 7.15, over in the church centre, my colleague Chris Tufnell will be there to greet you. Lovely meal. Chance to ask about these things. 7.15, come and join us. Others of you are saying, well, no, you know, I, I do want to start more quickly even than that. There's a booklet here that I've got. You might want to grab hold of that. I'll stand at the door. Take this from me on the way out. It won't cost you anything. It says more about what I've been saying. And right at the end, tells you how you can start with Jesus, if that's what you'd like to do. In 30 seconds, let me say for those who've already started with Jesus, like Zoe today, like me, we need to ask ourselves, where are we trying to limit Jesus' involvement in our lives? In what ways do we say, yes, I want Jesus in my life, but not in my workplace, not in my relationships, not in my leisure activities, not Lord over my finances, whatever it is. This says don't restrict Jesus to the religious zone, but allow him to be Lord of every part of life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you very much indeed for this wonderful service tonight. Thank you for Zoe. Thank you that you've worked in her life. Thank you that many of us, hundreds of us here, can testify to you working in our lives we pray that you'd help us, all of us, whether we have started with you or not, to realize who you are, 
uh, to realize that you're Lord of everything. Rescue us from doing what we do so easily, restricting you to just a certain part of life, particularly the kind of religious bits. Help us to see you need to be Lord of everything. Help those of us who are followers of the Lord Jesus to, to, as it were, give more of our lives over to him tonight. And please help those who are not yet followers of the Lord Jesus to, well, investigate if he really is Lord of all, or even tonight to start with him. We ask it in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.